Okay, that probably has bothered me more than it is you. chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, and experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely... For a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his, by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And if we, and if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you revealed yourself in your word, and we ask that you'd open our minds and hearts to your word today, that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Father, we just thank you, and we praise you again in Jesus' name, amen. As we think about this passage, this is probably one of the most powerful passages in all the Bible that'll give a Christian, a new Christian, or any Christian, assurance of salvation. He lists, Paul lists out at least five things that for a new believer, or any believer, they can take it to the bank and know that God has saved them. And we'd like to look at those things this morning, uh, or we'll begin looking at those. We won't get through all of them. But we'll, we'll begin to um, uh, this passage is about reconciliation of the believer reconciliation or assurance of salvation and this passage starts out in uh, verse 1 there it says therefore 
and I used to listen to uh, J. Vernon McGee, and he always would say, when you see that word therefore, look to see what it's there for. So it's a good time to reflect on what you've learned so far when you see that word or you read that word therefore, uh, just to learn, just reflect on what we've learned so far in this book. Um, we learned in chapter one that the gospel of God began with God, the gospel began with God. And the gospel, just as a reminder, means good news. So the gospel of God or the good news of God and he goes on and talks about the good news of his son. And that good news he reveals in chapter, verse 16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God. I'm messing this all up, y'all. I'm going to have to turn there. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, we see the good news of God is salvation. There's salvation available. And Paul uses this to introduce what this whole book is about. It's about the gospel of God, the good news of God. And that salvation is available. Then he goes on to say that the gospel... Um, The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 1.18 He says that because the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, he reminds us, he tells us, and he spends the next three chapters telling us who the ungodly and the unrighteous are. You know, if you remember, he starts off and he casts his net real wide. And he says, you know, all those pagan people, the ones that don't want to have anything to do with God, the ones that go and teach themselves that there is no God, the ones that pervert themselves, those are the ones that the gospel is revealed. And we look at that and we say, I'm not that person. But then he goes on and he talks about the moral man. The moral man that says, you know, I don't need God to tell me the difference between right and wrong. And in saying that, they just confirm what God has already done. He's put it in every man to know that there's God. Then he moves on and he talks about the Jew, the righteous, self-righteous Jew who is trying to work his way to God. He wants to bring God some good works and say, look here, God, look what I did. And he goes on and he, he talks about the people that are with Paul. Paul says, you know, us, he mentions us. You know, that's the people that's with Paul and the church he's writing to. And he says, you know, we're the people that are under the wrath of God. And Paul didn't stop there. He said, I, he, he used that program, pronoun for himself. 
I and myself. He says, I'm one that's under the wrath and of God. Then just in case there were some people that he missed or just in case there were some people that said, you know what, I don't fit any of those categories. I'm good. He says, he begins to quote scripture from the Psalms and he says, there's none righteous, no, not one. All we are like sheep have gone astray. And he gives this whole list of things, just one after another, that condemns all of us. And finally, he says, the law of God is revealed so that the whole world would stand before him guilty. And then he says, there is no flesh justified before God. The only way someone is, is justified is by faith. He introduces faith again. He says, by faith, one is justified, apart from the works of the law. And then he gives us an example of what faith looks like, and he spends the next chapter, all of chapter 4, talking about what does faith look like. And he gave Abraham as the example of what faith is like. And when we, we looked at that, we learned that Abraham heard a word from God. He believed God and he was obedient. And he says, there's none justified. We're only justified by faith. And then he begins this chapter, therefore, being justified by faith. He's talking about saved people. The ones that are justified. And, and he takes the next three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and he tells us that he explains what justification is. Just as he took the three chapters to explain us who the ungodly and the unrighteous were, he's going to take three chapters to explain what justification is. And today we'll begin that chapter, or begin looking at that. Who are the justified? What does it look like to be justified? And, and out of that we get we come away with the assurance of salvation. He says, therefore, being justified by faith. You know, the person that comes to faith in Christ is in this, and I don't know the grammar or the English or the all that about this word, but it seems like it's a continual word that therefore being, it's our being, we can't walk out of it. And the English teachers over there is nodding her head, saying, affirming what I'm saying. It's a being, it's continually happening. We're being justified by faith. We have peace with God. 
And that's the first assurance of salvation is that we have peace with God. Let that sink in for a moment, given that Paul just spent three chapters telling us who the ungodly were. And we found that we're right in the middle of that group of people. We're the ungodly. We're the condemned. We're the ones that are under the wrath of God. He says there's peace. The ones that are justified have peace. What does that mean, peace? Well, if there's peace, that means there was war. Because peace follows war. And when Adam sinned in the garden, and we'll learn about that later in this chapter, but when he sinned, he's our federal head, and that nature of sin, that nature that wants to sin continually, that nature that doesn't want anything to do with God, that nature that wants to teach themselves that there is no God, that nature that doesn't want to have anything to do with God, that nature that says, I'm exempt from what God says. When God says there's none righteous, no, not one. That was my favorite thing to do, was try to figure out that he's not talking about me. He's talking about that unsaved person over there, that pagan in the jungles of South America. Those are the people he's talking about, not me. But then one day a preacher stood on the platform and said, you're a dirty, rotten, low-down sinner, and you deserve to go hell. That was me. He was preaching to me. And that's when I heard the gospel for the first time. Though I've heard it a thousand times before, I heard it for the first time. I don't know where I am in my notes, y'all. <laughs> that war that we're talking about that comes after, that comes before peace is we're at war with God. God is at war with us. In Ephesians 2, 3, it says, Among whom also we have we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Before we come to Christ, we are just children of wrath. You know, that's how the Jews thought of Gentiles. They were just, they were just firewood for the fire. That's all they were. They, they were trying to exempt themselves. And that's what we were. We were just children of wrath. The wrath War is the wrath of God revealed. That's the war I'm talking about. That wrath that uh, Romans 1.18 talks about. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
The unredeemed are the, un, are the ones under the wrath of God. Before a person comes to faith in Christ, they are under the wrath of God. The unjustified are under the wrath of God. God is at war with them because of their sin. You may say to yourselves, well, I'm not at war with God. I don't have anything against God. And that's just the state of mind that we're in. We don't even realize there's a war going on. We don't even realize that there's a hell at the end of our life if we, we don't trust Christ. We're just oblivious to it. We're not getting our fingers burned or our toes burned so we don't even think about it. But if you're not in Christ today, you're under the wrath of God right now for eternity. Psalm 711 said, God judgeth the righteous and is angry with the wicked every day. He's angry with the wicked every day. Proverbs 21.4 says, and high luck and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Think about that for a moment. The plowing of the wicked is sin. We have this guy that's going out just trying to survive from day to day and he goes out and plows his field and God considers it sin. We get up in the morning and we go to our job to provide for our families and it's sin. If you're apart from Christ. Everything that we do is sin. It's condemnation. It deserves the wrath of God before we come to Christ. It's sin. And you might say, well, how in the world is that good that you know, before I come to Christ, everything I do is just sin before God. Providing for my family is sin. What he's talking about is even that part that we call is good, supporting our family, if we're not doing it for God's glory, it's sin. It's sin. And Romans tells us, for the wages of sin is death. Sin. Going out providing for our family is not enough. In Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. And he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Bible tells us before we come to Christ, we're enemies with God. 
We're at enmity with God. It means we're his enemy. And he's going to take vengeance out on us. Verse 3, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. He won't acquit them. The wicked are not acquitted. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. The power of God controls all of that stuff. The wind, the tornadoes, the hurricanes, all of that is in God's control. But he'll take out vengeance on the wicked. Romans 8, verse 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That means we're that enemy, we're enemies of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, and neither indeed can be. You know, we can't just decide, all right, I'm gonna be God's friend. I'm gonna start doing right. I'm gonna straighten up and be good it's not enough and that's what we learned in the latter part of chapter 3 is that there's no flesh justified before God no flesh but he goes on in that verse um Verse 1 there in Romans 5, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace with God? Simply put, it's through Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Turning to God in repentance and faith. Earlier I talked about hearing God's word and obedience in Abraham's life. And I was trying to think of a way to, I was trying to think of a story. Some of you know me as a storyteller. I was trying to think of a story I could tell you to help you to understand faith, what it is, and how it came out or bore fruit in Abraham's life. It might be a lame story, but I'm going to tell you. Faith is like a coin in the hand of grace. The one side of the coin is hearing God's word. And the other side is obedience. That's what we saw in Abraham's life. He heard from God and he was obedient. He heard from God and he believed God. And he was obedient. God told him to get up and leave the land of Ur and go to a country that you don't know where you're going, but I'm going to show you. Just go. And we look at Abraham's life, his whole life is marked by believing God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Come on. Well, that coin is in the hand of grace. 
And grace is where God forgives our sin. Grace is where God doesn't immediately punish us for our sin. It's grace. It's grace where we find forgiveness for our sin. And it's just not declared forgiveness because it was Christ who bore the penalty of our sin on the cross. It was Christ who took the chastisement. He took the peace. He took the punishment for our sin. You see, the one side of the coin is hearing God's word, just like Abraham. And the other side is obedience to that word. You know that scripture verse many of us have learned, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Now that's the gospel in a nutshell. We hear God's word. We hide it in our heart. You can't hide anything in your heart that you don't believe. That stuff you don't believe, you, you just reject it from your heart. And you, you might say, well, what if that coin lands on tails? Obedience first. It can't. It's not a coin toss. Because if we flip that coin over and try to be obedient first, we still fall under that group that's under God's wrath. Because trying to be obedient before you come to God is just trying to clean up and say, I gotta get good enough to come to Christ. And that's what the Jews, the self-righteous Jews were doing. They thought if they could just do all those outward things, they could be good enough. And that's what I thought. You know, if I could just do those good things, be a good kid, be a good person, I could bring that to God and say, look at me. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't whole life needs to be repented of. We hear God's word first, then we believe. That's what Romans 10 tells us. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if you're here today and you feel the condemnation of your life, you feel the condemnation of your sin, it's very simple. Just believe God. Hear his word. Believe God and repent. Repent. Repent of your sin to God. And believe Christ. Believe Christ was able, is able to save you to the uttermost. He is able because he paid your penalty. He paid my penalty for my sin and your sin. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us peace 
for all those who have trusted you, trusted Christ, and repented. And give us peace. There's peace. God is no, you're no longer at war with us, Father. We thank you and praise you and we worship you for that. You're no longer against us when we turn to you in repentance and faith. Father, we thank you and praise you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please remain standing and we'll sing our last song. This is a fairly new song for our church family. Um, it's called Yet Not I. <laughs> 